Is the traditional view that hell is an everlasting place of torment biblical? Why would God make a place like that? Let's talk about it. Welcome to Let's Talk. This is a podcast that tackles difficult issues, things that Christians have questions about. And I'm Paul Robinson. Thank you for listening. Now, today we have a very heavy topic, and that is hell. Specifically, is hell a real place? Now, the reason why I wanted to do this one is because there there is a trend among Christians today to to talk about the different views of hell. It's commonly, you know, there's four views of hell, and here's here's the problem. Many theologians today who are like, there are four views of hell, and then they give the four views of hell, and then at the end they said, these are the four views of hell, they all have pros and cons, and, and basically, they they will not commit to one. Isn't that a terrible thing? They won't commit to one. They'll basically say, here's the four views, you can believe whichever one you want, there's pros and cons to each one, but they won't commit to one. And, and I think that's cowardly, I think that's wrong, after all. Hell is a serious thing. And if hell is a real place, I mean, we need to know the truth about hell. And, and it's, it's ridiculous because you know what? The Bible is clear about hell. Now, I'm going to commit to a view. I'm going to commit to one, and you probably know which one I'm going to be committing to. But uh, let's talk about it today. Let's talk about hell, and let's find out if it's a real place, according to what the Bible says. First thing I want to do is... Um, I want to read something to you, and this is from thechristianleft.org. Now, um, my last episode was on the Christian Left, and they actually had a whole page dedicated to hell, but I skipped it because I thought I could do a whole episode on hell, so that's why I skipped it, and now I'm going to read what it says. And basically, this is a very common uh, view on hell, and, and what I'm going to do is just read this completely, and I might interject here and there, but let me read this to you. This is from thechristianleft.org, and I quote, First, our word for hell, and all of the imagery that comes with it, is a relatively new word in history, and certainly was not present in Old Testament times or the first century when the New Testament was written. In the Old Testament, there is only one word used when referring to the place of the dead, and this is the word sheol. The word simply means the place of the dead, or the grave, and is where Old Testament writers believed everyone went when they died both the righteous and unrighteous. These ancient writers, by and large, did not share our modern concepts of heaven and hell. They believed that when people died, they died. However, over the course of time, there did develop a hope among God's people that one day the righteous would be resurrected, a hope still shared by nearly all Christians today. All right, so right there, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, uh, the word Sheol, uh, he, he's right to a certain degree, but I, I cannot say he's right concerning, oh, yeah, that, that, these people back then, they didn't believe in heaven and hell. Oh, yeah, that just kept, no, 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 wrong. So um, let's move on. And I quote, in the New Testament, we find a few different words that often get translated into English as hell. Koine Greek was a more precise language than English, so a variety of words each with their own meanings and nuance, often get translated simply as hell, and therefore adopt our modern concepts of hell, importing these concepts into the text. One of the more common words we find is the word Hades, which is perhaps a functional equivalent to Sheol. It is the place of the dead where everyone goes when they die. 
At times, Hades is described as a place of paradise, Luke 23:43, and other times a place of punishment, Luke 16:23. So it is a flexible word. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, that was totally me. I just, uh, okay, I'll get to that in a second. Second, we find the word Tartarus used only one time in reference to rebellious angels and has the nuance of a deep, dark pit where they await the judgment of God. Thirdly, we find a common word used by Jesus that is often translated as hell, and this is the word Gehenna. Okay, before before we go any further here, can I just say, he, he's getting all trapped in these, uh, these words. Okay, but what we're going to be looking at is the descriptions of hell, what Jesus says about hell, and the descriptions of hell. So it's one thing to look at the words, it's another thing to look at the actual descriptions, what the Bible says about hell, all right? So you can just play games with words all you want, but why don't we look at what the Bible says concerning hell, okay? Anyways, let's move on. And I quote, he continues, Gehenna is a, is different than the other New Testament words for hell, as it was an actual geographic place during the life of Jesus. The word actually means the valley of the son of Hinnom. Described by some as a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem, it was a place of historic weeping and gnashing of teeth because it is where children were previously sacrificed to pagan gods. This was also a place where bodies were cremated and where there was likely a fire continually burning. In many cases where Jesus uses this term, he is often referencing the coming destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD, and warning his generation as to how they could avoid having their bodies thrown into Gehenna. Now that sounds really good, doesn't it? Wow, that sounds great. And and he's right, Gehenna was a real place. And he's right, bodies were thrown into the fire there. But the fact that he thinks Jesus was referring to that and saying, oh yeah, you don't want your body to be thrown into Gehenna, is completely wrong. You know why? Because of what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. Uh, he says this, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So right there, Jesus says, don't fear those who will destroy your body. Now, why would Jesus say that if, if, if he was saying, oh, you don't want, to, don't, don't want to get cast into Gehenna and have your body destroyed? Well, no, he just said, don't fear those who destroy your body. He said, he said, fear those who will destroy both your soul and your body in hell. So clearly that hell, that word hell, Matthew 10, 28, is not referring to Gehenna. Because in that same verse, he says, don't fear those who kill your body. Well, they would burn your body in Gehenna. You, you see the problem? All right, so that goes against what Jesus is saying. So really that view is completely wrong. It's wrong. Yeah, wh why would Jesus care what happens to your body anyways? What, what, was, Je was Jesus like the, the ancient Egyptians who, who did everything they could to preserve your body because they believed that if your body was not preserved, then you would not enter the afterlife? What was Jesus like? Oh, don't let them kill your body. Don't let them burn your body. Got to preserve it. Did Jesus teach mummification? No, he didn't. He didn't. He says, hey, don't fear those who kill your body. Fear those who can kill your body, your soul, and your body in hell. In hell? What's he talking about? Well, that brings us to different views on hell. Different view. So quickly, I want to go over the different views on hell because you need to understand the, the different views that, you know, Christians have and, and different people have. And, and um, you know, we live in a time where we live in a time where Christians are like, yeah, yeah, all the views on hell are interesting, but I don't know which one I believe. You know, that's the kind of that's the time we live in. Right. 
wishy-washiness. That's what it is. So let's talk about the views of hell. And, and by the way, I'm also going to point out the ones that are unbiblical and the one that's true. <laughs> All right. So the first view is the metaphorical view of hell. Now, this was pushed by William Crockett, who said that teachings on both heaven and hell are largely symbolic. He believes that hell is a place of torment, but not a literal fire, because a literal fire cannot torment spirit beings. Well, this view is wrong in two respects. Hell is a place of literal fire. Mark 9.44, Jesus said, Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Jesus never alludes to any kind of symbolism. He's speaking of literal fire, okay? It's not symbolic. You, you, cannot, you cannot get symbolism out of that. Now, the second problem is that people in hell will not be spirit beings. They will have new resurrected bodies. And this is from John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. It says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Isn't that interesting? So even those who are not saved will be resurrected and will receive incorruptible bodies. These bodies will be able to be burned and tormented, but will not be consumed like our physical bodies now. So, yet yeah, they're not going to be spirit beings. They're going to have new resurrected bodies. Wow. Um, and, and notice that Jesus says, the worm dieth not. The worm is the body. That's what the worm is referring to. It's your body. Your body will not die. Your body will not be consumed away. Isn't that interesting? So that's the first view, the uh, metaphorical view, that it's, oh, it's just all symbolic. Wrong. Okay, wrong. Next is the purgatorial view of hell. You probably figured out what this is talking about. This was pushed by Zachary Hayes, who stated that eternal destiny, either heaven or hell, is set irrevocably at the moment of death. That most are not bad enough to be consigned to an eternal hell, nor are they good enough for heaven. So a cleansing process needs to take place between death and entrance into heaven. Now this view is believed by many Catholics today. You know, purgatory, right? Purgatory. Well, you know, you die... And then your spirit goes to this this in-between place called the purgatory. And uh, that's why they pray for saints. They, oh, let's all pray for them so they can get into heaven. And um, guess what scripture they use for that? Here's the scripture. 2 Maccabees 12, verses 41 through 46. Yeah, you're probably thinking the same thing I'm thinking. That's not scripture. It's not. It's, it's the Apocrypha, which we do not hold as scripture. Well, that's a problem. Also, Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It mentions you cannot be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. So they use that. That's not what it's talking about. They also cite 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15, um, where uh, specifically the part where it says, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, these scriptures are taken out of context. There is no solid argument from scripture to believe in purgatory. In fact, there's a verse in Scripture that's against purgatory. And this is the nail in the coffin for this view. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, once to die, but after this, the judgment. You see, Scripture does not give any in-between. That verse does not say, And after they die, then they have an opportunity. If people will pray for them, they can get... No, 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 no. 
wants to die, and after this, the judgment. That's it. That's it. You don't get a second chance. You know, your uh, anyone's chance, their opportunity to be saved is this life. You have this life. This life is your opportunity to get saved. And if you fail to do that, if you reject Christ and you die in your sins, you do not get another opportunity. All right, that's it. No purgatory. All right, so as you can see, the purgatorial view is completely unbiblical. Let's move on now to the conditionalist view of hell. This is also the annihilation view, which, by the way, is, is I think, becoming more popular today, unfortunately. This was pushed by Clark Pinnock. He argued that if we are to take the Bible literally, we must take words such as perish and death literally. His argument has to do with morality. Is God a God of infinite cruelty? Do sins committed in time and space justly merit limitless divine retribution? Now, this sounds good until you realize what Jesus meant by those words perish and death. You see, the Greek word for perish in John 3.16 means this, according to Thayer's lexicon, to incur the loss of true or eternal life, to be delivered up to eternal misery. So that's what it means in the Greek, and the translators translated that as perish. Also, death in the Bible always has to do with separation. The annihilationist view takes no account for what the Bible calls the second death. This is found in Revelation 2, 11, 20, verse 6, and verse 14, and chapter 21, verse 8. The second death is eternal separation from God in hell. If someone is annihilated at death, then what on earth is the second death? Now, that's something you can ask the, the person who believes in the annihilationist view. You can say to them, okay, so you believe someone is annihilated when they die. They're, just, they're gone. Just that's it. Right? Right. Okay. Then what is the second death? What's the second death? You know what? They're not going to have an answer. They're not. Because the Bible's very clear. You know, it's been said if you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll die once. All right? And again, the second death is separation from God, an eternal separation from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. That, lead, that, that, that brings us now to the traditionalist view. Well, it's called the traditional view. It really is. And that is also the biblical view that hell is a real place of torment. And you say, well, where do you get that? Well, that brings us to um, Luke chapter 16. I want you to listen closely. Luke chapter 16, I'm going to read verses 19 to 31. It's kind of a long passage, but listen because this is probably the best passage in the entire Bible on hell. Luke 16, starting in verse 19. Here's Jesus speaking. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and 
likewise Lazarus, evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Wow, incredible account, isn't it? Now, I want you to notice that this is not a parable in the sense that it is a made-up story. You know, the parables of Jesus, they're made-up stories. This is not. You know why? Because Jesus uses a real name. This is the only time in a parable where Jesus uses a real name, and that's Lazarus. Now, it's true he doesn't use a real name for the rich man, and I'll tell you why that is in a moment. But he uses the real name for the man who was saved, and that is Lazarus. It's the only time Jesus does that. And so because of that, we do not believe this is a made-up story. This is a true account. All right? And, and really, it cannot be called a parable. Well, this account allows us to see some unique features of hell. Um, it's a place of fire. What did the rich man say? He said, I am tormented in this flame. It is a place of fire, and by the way, it is a place of eternal fire. The fire will never be quenched. That's what Jesus said in uh, another verse, and, and the Bible really is clear about that. Several several verses and, and places in Scripture where it talks about the eternal flame, everlasting fire, all right? Uh, in Revelation, it says, the smoke of their torment rises, riseth up forever and ever. So it is a place of fire and smoke. Can you imagine being burned and burned and burned and burned, but never consumed? But not only that, having smoke, all of that smoke choking you and, and, and getting in your eyes and making your eyes water. and What a horrible place. It is a place of torment. Now I mentioned the fire. It's a torment. Jesus says in other passages that there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, do you know why anybody would gnash their teeth? It's because they're in excruciating pain. Excruciating pain. That's the kind of torment that there is in hell. Weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. And yeah, people will be screaming. People will be screaming. There's, there's going to be no soundtrack in hell. There's going to be no music or band, nothing. But just people screaming and wailing. It is a place of remembrance. Isn't it interesting that the rich man remembered his brethren? He remembered them. And you know what's sad? All the people that die in their sins and go to hell, they're going to remember the opportunities they had to be saved. Maybe they heard a preacher give the gospel and they said, oh, I don't want that. I don't want to receive Christ. I don't need it. They're going to remember that. It's going to play like a broken record in their minds. That's a terrible thing. But also it's a place of prayer. It's a place of prayer. The rich man actually prayed to Father Abraham. He said, Father Abraham, please, please, Send someone to my brothers so that they can be saved. You know what? I, I, I really do believe that the people in hell, many of them, maybe not all of them, but many of them, will be praying 
that somebody would tell their family of Christ, their family or friends, their loved ones. They're going to be praying. But you know what? Their prayers will not be heard. Their prayers will not be heard because they're separated from God. God doesn't hear their prayers. But I want you to think about this. You could be the answer to their prayers. You could be the answer to somebody's prayers in hell. You could go to to their lost loved one and give them the gospel and that person gets saved and you're the answer to their prayers. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? It's an amazing thing. The Bible also talks about, now we, we don't get that from this account, but the Bible talks about that hell is a place of darkness. Darkness. Now it's very interesting. I have to tell you about, uh, right here, he talks about a great gulf fix. Now this is important to understand. Before Jesus Christ died, Hell and paradise were across from each other, and there was a great gulf fix between them. And we believe that when Jesus died, he went down, and he led those in paradise. He led them up into heaven. You know, it says he led captivity captive. And so he went down to those in paradise, not to hell, but to those in paradise. And he took them, and he led them up to heaven. And what happened was hell expanded her borders. And hell, hell uh, grew after that. And um, I'll tell you... Oh, yeah, I'm going to get to that in a second. One last thing. The rich man. Why didn't the rich man... Why didn't Jesus give us the name of the rich man? Well, that's simple if you think about it. It's because you will not have an identity in hell. No identity in hell. You're not going to go by your name in hell. And, 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 and again, it's going to be a place of darkness... Fire, torment, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, smoke, all of these things. You won't be able to see anybody. Nobody will be able to see you. And so there will be no identities in hell. No, Nobody's going to say to you, hey, Bob. Hey, Jane. No. No identity. You're a nobody in hell. You know, in heaven, you're a child of God. In fact, the Bible says your name's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your name is recorded, but in hell, that name's been blotted out as if you never existed. No identity. You're a nobody. You don't belong to any family. Isn't that sad? Isn't that heart-wrenching? Anyways, let's move on. Where is hell located? Okay, we've talked about the place of hell. Now, the location. Well, some theologians believe that hell is located in the center of the earth. And if you think about it, that makes sense. That makes sense because the center of the earth is so hot. It's so hot that um, you wouldn't be able to get there. I, I know there's that movie, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Guess what? If anybody journeyed to the center of the earth, they would burn to a crisp before they got there. The center of the earth is so extremely hot. So I think there's a good argument that hell is located there. That's interesting. Now... Here's the thing. The earth is going to be destroyed. Remember that? The the heavens and the earth will be destroyed, so hell will need to be relocated. God will take hell, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to cast it into the lake of fire, Revelation 20, verse 4. So now the question is, what is the lake of fire, and where is it located? Well, for this, we turn to Henry Morris. I love Henry Morris. He says this, and I quote, The exact character and location of the lake of fire have not been revealed in the scriptures, but there is no reason to question the physical reality of its fires. There are scriptures which at least intimate that it may be located in some far-off corner of the universe, 
almost infinitely removed from the new earth and its holy city. Matthew 8.12, Matthew 8.12, apostate children of the kingdom are cast into outer darkness, okay? Now, after pointing to other scriptures, Morse concludes that the lake of fire will likely be located on some far distant star. He says a star, after all, is precisely that, a lake of fire. Isn't that interesting? Hell will be taken and cast into the lake of fire, which could be some humongous star burning in the far reaches of the universe. By the way, we'll never be able to travel there. You're not going to be able to go visit the lake of fire. That's the final destination for those who have rejected Christ as their Savior. Now, before we close today, let's talk about one final thing, and that is the purpose of hell. Why did God make hell? Well, Jesus says this in Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, hell was made for the devil and his angels. It was not made for man. It was not made for you and me or anybody. It was made for the devil and his angels. That's where they belong. You know, they're called fallen creatures, and of course we're fallen too. But we're different because we're made in the image of God. Now, the opinion, the opinion that a loving God would never send anyone to hell, it's unbiblical because it leaves out God's holiness and justice. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. 2 Peter 3 9 says, He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The person is sent to hell because of his sin. That's not God being harsh, it's God being just. And if they want to talk about love, well, the love of God provided a payment for their sins so they would not have to go to hell. You know, I just just find the baffling that people are like, a loving God would never send someone to hell. Well, hold on. A loving God did something about it. A loving God provided a way for you to be saved. A loving God sent his only begotten son to be the payment for your sins, to die on the cross, be buried in a tomb, rise from the grave. He conquered sin and death so you could be saved, so you don't have to go there. That's what a loving God did. That's what a loving God did. He made a way of escape. All right, you don't have to go there. That's how much God loves us. You know, God sacrificed his, the greatest thing he could ever sacrifice is his only begotten son. That's what God did. So to summarize, yes, hell is a real place. And right now, real people are there being tormented and paying the price for their sin. It is our responsibility to tell people the truth about their sin and where it will take them. Hey, let me encourage you to tell others the good news of the gospel. Hey, share the gospel with somebody. Tell somebody somebody about the Lord Jesus. Tell somebody the good news. And you know, you don't have to go in detail about hell. You know, this episode has been about the place of hell. Is hell a real place? It is a real place. I I do not believe that when you die, you're annihilated. The Bible's clear that that's not the case. I certainly do not believe in purgatory. And I certainly don't believe that, you know, it's all symbolic. Oh, it's all symbolic. You know, there's also a weird, um, I didn't even take the time to mention Jehovah's Witnesses. And there's probably others too, but Jehovah's Witnesses believe that uh, hell doesn't exist at all. You know, they'd probably say it's symbolic. They they believe that that the life we live right now on earth, they believe this is hell. Can you believe that? 
The life you're living, yeah, that's hell. Well, hell's pretty nice then, isn't it? Look around, we got the birds singing, it's beautiful outside, the sun shining. You know, hell's not bad. According to them. But you know what, hell is a terrible place. And God doesn't want you to go there. God, God doesn't want anybody get to go there. You know, you could talk about the worst person on the face of the earth, some mass murderer. God loves him too. God doesn't want him to go there. Jesus died for him too. And so, hell is a real place. It's sobering. It, it, it's scary to think about. It's scary to think about that there are people there right now burning and being tormented for all of eternity. It's a terrible thing. But remember, God is a loving God, and he made a way of escape. He sent Jesus Christ so that nobody will have to go to hell. Nobody has to go there, all right? And, and, and that should spurn us on. That should give us incentive to witness to our family and our loved ones and our friends and our neighbors, our co-workers. We don't want them to go to hell. We don't want them to die in their sins. So share the gospel with them. Show them the love of Christ. Hey, thank you so much for listening. And uh, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, be sure to go back and listen to past episodes, but also share it. Let others know, all right? Let's spread the love. Let others know. And um, this is a special uh, little series I'm doing. Uh, I, I post about one a month, uh, one of these each month. But don't forget about the regular episodes. They're sermons I've preached over the years. I think they'll be a great blessing and encouragement to you. So be sure to listen to those. And you can go back and listen. I've, I've put, we've got almost 30 episodes now. So go back and listen to those sermons. They'll be such a blessing. And share the podcast. Check out my website, paulrobinsonbooks.com. And by the way, uh, the Preaching Podcast has expanded to YouTube. So be sure to go to YouTube, type in the Preaching Podcast, type in Paul Robinson. You can find it there. And be sure to subscribe to the, the YouTube channel. And, and you know what that is, is I, I'm, putting out, I'm putting out a bunch of extra content there. So they're videos, making the most of your quiet time, making the most of your prayer time. Uh, and I also have a devotional thought that I put up each Monday, a devotional thought. So I'm putting up extra things on YouTube, so be sure to go there and subscribe to that channel so that you don't miss anything. And um, I really do appreciate it. I'm Paul Robinson, and until next time, God bless you.